940, 20 till 10. Tommy Tucker, WWL. Glad you're with us on this Wednesday morning, February 8th. We've been having discussions ongoing about whether it's better for judges to be elected or appointed. You know, there was a follow-up not just with the Orleans Parish um, criminal court, but other jurisdictions in Louisiana as well about changing the jury form, and it inadvertently excluded felons from the jury, and that could lead to all types of appeal issues. Caprice Roberts joins us now, professor of law at LSU. She teaches constitutional law, federal courts and remedies, and she's devoted scholarly and teaching attention to proper judicial role in the advancement of the law of remedies. Professor, good morning. Thank you for joining us. Oh, good morning, Tommy. Happy to speak with you this morning. I am a frustrated wannabe attorney, and just thank the good Lord that I, you don't have me in your class because I would be one of those. <laughs> there are many frustrated aspiring attorneys as well as those who are in rehab from being an attorney, so... <laughs> Tell me about um, this whole question of, and the reason I brought up the the mistake with the um, jurors and excluding them and what that could possibly lead to in terms of appeals, uh, elections have consequences. And I think we all want the best judges that we can get. Is there a clear-cut um, evaluation as to whether it's not to have uh, better to have elected judges or appointed judges, and what are the pros and cons of either? Sure. Happy to discuss that. And, and one of the complicating matters is that there are so many different options. So it's not just as simple as appointment method on the federal system or election. There are many other in between. So it may be that a balance is the right way to go. Let, let me start, Professor, state. with some of the sure. in-betweens if we can. Sure. Uh, we can have some of the in-between. So, for example, just because you want to have election, it doesn't mean that you have to start with election. Many states have gone to appointment method, uh, perhaps by the governor or an appointing commission, and then they'll have what's called a retention election, which gives you sort of a three-year look-in or a five-year look-in, perhaps a performance evaluation, and an opportunity to then take it to the voters. Of course, that makes those elections all the more um, competitive. You see heavy campaigns coming out using judicial decisions and putting the judges in a bit of a tough spot in terms of what they want to sign their names to. So that comes up a little bit in those states. You'd want to take a look at that. Um, but what Louisiana has, for example, is partisan elections. And most states have moved away from that. There are only, I think, eight states currently with starting out with a partisan election, not having any appointment as a piece of the equation. And when I say partisan, what I mean is you're actually getting the party affiliation that can campaign in that way, and it, it can be an easy identifier. Um, and it can be, you kind of know what the competition is, but some believe that putting it in a partisan frame from the very beginning takes away from that idea of judicial independence which the appointment method is trying to do more fully. Although, as you well know, just because you might do appointment method, whether it be on the federal level or the state, it is not devoid of politics. I've heard it said that when you hire a criminal attorney, you're really not hiring um, uh, Matlock or Perry Mason or, or pick your TV <laughs> attorney here. You're hiring somebody who knows either the ins and outs of the system or the judge, the particular judge. Your thoughts on that, Professor? Right. I mean, I do think it, it, when you're an individual who needs a lawyer, sometimes you don't know how to find the best one. And you're exactly right. If it's a, a local case, especially on the state level, 
You want to see not just someone who's going to listen to you and return your phone calls, return your emails, which is most important, but also that they have some knowledge of that of that courtroom. That can be especially important as you get whatever judicial draw that you might have. You can't control which judge you're going to get, but having someone familiar, often um, we always advise students to go ahead and try to clerk for judges on the state level and federal level um, or extern for them because it's a great way to see a lot of lawyering and meet a lot of judges. Generally speaking, and Lord knows, Professor, I don't want you to name any names. I presume you still practice. Um, are, are, is the judiciary up to the task um, in terms of either knowing the law, applying the law, continuing education? I know for a fact, at least I believe it to be a fact, that one person's advocate judge or, or um, revisionist ju- activist judge is another person's brilliant jurist. It depends on what side of it you're on, right? No, that's exactly right. And I, I've written an article about that, about accusations of activism on the court. And you're, you're right. The beauty is in the eye of the beholder. There are many people really happy with certain, and whether we're talking the federal level or the state level, when you have changes through the appointment process or through elections, you sometimes really do get dramatically different rulings. And that uh, can cause concern, but it also is um, some somewhere enjoy over the fact that the court might be headed a different direction. Um, but you're also right that you have so many different levels of care and competency across the judiciary because the election method means you can just go out there and put yourself, uh, you know, out on campaigns, get on the trail get to know voters and sell them on your potential ability. Sometimes judges go for specialized courts because they might be easier to get. And what I mean by that might be if there's a family law court or um, something like that, and then they're working their way up, they may or may not have the expertise. Ideally, you would get to see, you look at their resume, look at their, you know, we need more voter education. And then you could say, yes, I think they deserve that position they're seeking. Um, but we want to have, I think, the ideals of being a good and fair judge who is looking at those facts in front of them and also the precedent um, in front of them as well in terms of cases that are, are binding in that jurisdiction. But again, uh, you know, we're going to see a lot of different things, and that's true on the state level and the federal level right now, too. I think there's a, a lot of concern about uh, some of the norms that are seem to be drifting a bit. Uh, that's not to say the decisions are all wrongly decided, but it's certain things that have been important in, in, in a generation or even just a few years ago, like following precedent, which is called stare decisis. Um, you're seeing some of that fading away uh, on certain cases, but not all. You're seeing other interpretive methods, uh, but not consistently across cases. So all those things, I think, give the public and especially litigants real concerns. I don't want to go all paper chase on you here or anything, but the the law should be an evolving thing, right? Or not? Yes. I mean, I would say that it should be, but I think sometimes we can get into a, a view where we think that judges have no role in terms of evolving in any way. So it gets a little bit political. I wish it didn't because you're exactly right. Part of what judges do, especially when you have common law judges, you know, doing common law cases without statutory work, 
Here you have civil code as well in Louisiana. But either way, whether they're working with a code section or working based upon case law, uh, over time, they're not looking at exactly the same fact pattern. They have to do some development there that is natural um, because we have new things happening in right. the world. We have technologies that we've never had before. Um, you might even have a criminal or fraudulent conspiracy in ways we couldn't have imagined earlier. Um, so I think those are arguments for there has to be some level of adaptation by the jurists. And I think what you want are jurists that are going to explain that and say, here's how far the precedent takes us. And, you know, this is, if we're under a statute, have we been given some legislative leeway, uh, which often, you know, Congress or local legislature will say that. They're not going to define every single example or every single term in a statute, meaning every phrase, but they give judges the ability to sort of work within those gaps. And that is part of judicial discretion, and we have to get comfortable with that. And that's why we need to pick really wisely who those judges are going to be, whether that be through the election method, through an appointment method, or some combination. And it's why retention elections gives you that opportunity to perhaps weigh in again. I think Louisiana was initially in 1812 under an appointment method, but around 1904 went to popular vote. Um, but much later than that, I think, moved to partisan. And again, that's probably because of, you know, politics are percolating and bubbling across the country. Uh, so you're seeing sometimes ways to use either redistricting or switching up partisan, nonpartisan in some states as a way to take control of some of the levers. And if that's done to get a better judiciary, then great. If it's done to just get your person on for, for a short-term window, then the other side is going to try maneuvers in the same way, and that's not going to help us. You know, one thing that bothers me when it comes to elected judges, and, and it could all be prejudice on my part, and, and I could be completely wrong, is that I fear that when it comes to elected judges, it's a popularity contest, not necessarily expertise as it relates to the law. But when you look at appointed judges, you could say, well, these are appointed by either elected officials, a lot of whom are attorneys and are familiar with the law, or by a body that is able to vet the best, uh, the, the, the most qualified uh, lawyer, uh, judge, as it really, lawyer to become a judge as it relates to applying the law. But then again, favoritism could exist there. So I don't, I don't know. It's a kind of mixed bag, isn't it, Professor? It is a mixed bag, and there's always going to be um, a bit of favoritism, a bit of funneling. Right? We talk about pipelines. That happens on the federal level as well. How do you get your name onto those short lists? There are some nonprofit organizations that try to watch that and or try to funnel. So that became more active in, in the past few presidencies. You see that on the federal level. And I agree with you um, to the extent that some of that creates just a, a better vetting process where you have more people, including the American Bar Association, weighing in on is this candidate or nominee, well, it'd be nominee on the federal level, are they well qualified? Some presidents, um, you know, pay more or less attention to that. Uh, but I think you can do that on the state level as well with the commissions and appointing commissions. But again, how does their name get into that appointed commission? How broadly do they circulate the call? But if you go purely elections, it does have a piece of popularity. And you can have the negative view on that, which is this is just name ID and not necessarily expertise. Um, those who would defend the popular method would say it's keeping the judges directly accountable to the voters. And voters in some states get a wonderful voter ID package. Of course, hard to create those. 
uh, I think North Carolina has it. You have to put all the credentials in in a fairly nonpartisan uh, or unbiased way is what I mean. So that's hard to get somebody to write that up in a way that is um, fair, if that makes sense. Um, as opposed to what they do on the campaign trail, which is they take the worst parts of the other person, right, and the best parts of themselves, and that's what you might hear. Professor, I've thoroughly enjoyed talking to you. I hope you come back. Thank you. Yeah, no, this has been wonderful. Thanks so much. Let's hope for the best. Thank you. Professor Caprice Roberts, professor of law at LSU, teaches constitutional law, federal courts, and remedies, devoted scholarly and teaching attention to proper judicial role in the advancement of the law of remedies, and very lucky that I'm not in her class. 9.53, 7 till 10, we'll find out what Noel Norman's got planned for us today when we come back here on WWL.